Thanks so much for joining us today. I am Shannon Lonergan, and I am your host today for the Axiom Podcast. And joining me today is Joey Brannon, and he is going to be talking with me about um, no bad teams. So last week we talked with Devin, and we talked about what does no bad teams mean, and are there really no bad teams? And we ended um, that show talking about where bad teams come from. And then going into this week, I teed you all up to where do good teams come from? And that is where Joey's going to come in and he's going to talk to us a little bit about extreme ownership. Hi, Joey. Hey, Shannon. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for, (laughs) this is our first, this is my first time actually getting to do this with you as the host. So it's going to be fun. It's so exciting. Um, I feel like part of the team officially now doing a couple of these. It's so fun. Be careful. Like you might inherit the permanent role as podcast host. You know? I mean, it's not like I would have a problem with yeah, that. Yeah, you're pretty good at it. <laughs> All right. Well, I would love to chat with you about what extreme ownership means to you. Yeah, so the idea of extreme ownership, it's, again, it's not our idea, right? We're really good at stealing things. And so we see, this comes out of a book uh, by an author named Jocko Willink. He uh, served in the military and served both in combat roles and also in leadership uh, roles and went on to found a consulting company where he brings a lot of those leadership principles into the boardroom, into corporate uh, scenarios. And so he, he wrote this book called Extreme Ownership. And we really liked it because when we get into, I was just just uh, speaking with another one of our folks, uh, Steve Sullivan, was doing a presentation this morning that I was sitting in on. And... Um, and during the Q&A, this question came up of, like, how did you go from the work that you were doing, um, which is primarily financial, into, like, working with CEOs? And I said, well, it's, it's a really an easy transition. The, the financial part of it was just a way to understand what was happening in the business. But what was really interesting to me were the business problems and how do you solve those business problems? And it can be really easy to diagnose the problem. Um, pretty much even, you know, if you're, if you have a business and you want to know like, what are the big issues in the business? Just ask any random customer walking through, they can, they can tell you what your problems are, whether it's disengaged employees or lackluster facilities or inconsistent service or uh, missing expectations in terms of pricing and positioning. They can, that kind of stuff is easy to point out, but now when you need to change it, you're changing human behavior. And to change human behavior, you have to look at, well, what is the leader's behavior? Because this behavior is coming from somewhere. And so extreme ownership is this idea that if a leader really wants to be able to change anything, they have to own everything, including the things that have been not going well, all the problems, all the issues, if you're willing to own that in the extreme, like I didn't create the problem, but it's my fault. Mm-hmm. And we we don't like to use the word fault a lot. We try to distinguish between fault and responsibility. And the best way that this was broken down for me one time is somebody said, if you walk out your front doorstep and there's a baby on your doorstep, that's not your fault. But now it is your responsibility, right? And mm-hmm. so that's the kind of attitude that we like to see engendered in leadership teams, especially at the very highest level uh, where we're talking about the CEO or the business owner. And that's why this book has become such a, a well-worn tool in our toolbox where the concepts in it have really helped us address some of the issues that we see in businesses. And especially when we get into talking about teams and what can take a team from being, you know, last to first, so to speak. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, and I love how you are so open about 
we don't have original ideas and we steal <laughs> from a lot of different people. You know, it's like there's this idea that creativity, you know, is basically being able to steal two or three ideas and come up with a new way to apply them, you know, or, or a new idea that's, that kind of stands on the shoulders of those. And I think that's, that's one of our, our core skill sets. Yeah. I mean, it's about not reinventing the wheel. Right. And if other people have great ideas, we might as well use them and then add to them, add some more value. So when we're talking to the leaders who are listening to this podcast today, I'm sure that there are a handful of them who are thinking, okay, this is all great. I listened to last week's and now you're starting to tell me that I have to take extreme ownership, which is cool. I can do that, but do I necessarily want to? What are some like three steps that they could start today to take that ownership? Well, I wish it was as easy to convince them as you just made it sound. <laughs> so, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. One of the things in the book that really stands out, and uh, this is an example that that I like because it drives home, it, it makes that idea that you just espoused like easier for a business owner to wrap their head around or any leader to wrap their head around. And it comes out of uh, a scenario where, the author, Jocko Willink, he was a, he was an instructor and he was in, his responsibilities were running the, the, um, the kind of buds course, the, how do you become a Navy SEAL, right? So you go through mm-hmm. this six month process and he was one of the guys who was an instructor. He was a head instructor and there was this one particular drill that they would run over and over again. And it consisted of these, these, uh, teams of six seals being in a boat and they would basically race, right? So you start on the beach and you carry the boat into the surf and you get up beyond the surf and you go up, you know, a mile or so and you turn around and you come back. And they noticed that there was this kind of consistency that this one team was always finishing first and this other team was always finishing dead last every single race. And so the instructors were talking like, what are we going to do about this? You know, and so one of the instructors had the idea, the brilliant idea, let's switch the boat team captains in those two boats because there might be five guys rowing, but there's one guy, a six guy sitting in the back and he was usually the officer and his responsibility was to captain that boat. So they switched the captains of the boats and something interesting happened within a, a couple of reps. The next few races, the team that had been last started finishing consistently second or first. And the team that had been first started finishing toward the back of the pack. Same team, same boats, the only thing that changed was the leader. Mm-hmm. And we can see this in businesses. We have the luxury of seeing this in businesses because we get to go into business A, then business B, then business C, then business D. And we might see half a dozen businesses over the course of a few weeks. And man, the distinction, the, the differences between leader A and leader B and the performance of team A and team B is so stark. We're like, man, leadership makes all the difference. But I think we need to be gracious to business owners who uh, kind of get stuck in their own little bubble, so to speak. They don't have the luxury of seeing all these other teams and seeing how they operate and, and being able to be on the inside of a lot of the conversations, be able to have the one-on-ones with individual team members to hear what their frustrations are or how, how grateful they are for the leader that they have. And so... If you feel like you're struggling, if you're listening to this and you're a business owner and you feel like you're struggling, the encouragement would be like, it's probably your fault. <laughs> that doesn't sound encouraging, but it should be encouraging because if it's your fault, 
then the ability to change rests in your hands. It's yours for the taking. You don't have to wait for Axiom to come in. You don't have to wait for some magic pixie dust that's never going to arrive, right? You, you literally can just say, the condition of my team right now, to the extent that I'm frustrated with their performance, to the extent that the numbers aren't showing progress, to the extent that we have high turnover, that's my fault. And I'm going to own it. And if you'll do that, that's kind of the, the starting line for being able to build a great team. Mm-hmm. Great teams come from leaders who understand it's my fault. I've got to do better. I've got to be better. And truly, you know, the, like the top one-tenth of one percent of teams are usually led by leaders who are never satisfied with their development as a leader. They always believe that there's something that they're doing they're not doing as well as they could be. And they're in a quest to find out what are those blind spots, what are those areas, what are the how are my how are my team members evaluating me? What do they say about where I can get better? And if you have that kind of humility, there's really not much of a ceiling to your leadership capacity. Yeah, that is such a good word. And I think that it can um, inspire all of the leaders and even me, even though I'm not technically the leader of Axiom, you know, we all yet. have leadership yet. roles <laughs> yet. <laughs> One day I'm going to take it over. <laughs> Confetti and all. <laughs> um, I think that it's just so important to remember. Um, and it kind of goes back to something I had said with, I, th- I believe I had said this with Devin last week was, um, the only thing that you can change is yourself. The only person you can change is yourself. Sorry. Um, and instead of just pointing the finger at yourself, remember there's three more pointing back at you. Um, I know that our listeners would love some real life um, scenario. So for you with running Axiom for the past um, couple of decades, what is something that you have had to learn Oh, with the team. <laughs> this is going to be a longer podcast than we had planned on. Um, there's a ton. I, mean, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Like, I like to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, leading a team is not my, it, it's not natural. When I started Axiom oh, 17, 18 years ago now, um, you know, it was just me. And then it was me and a receptionist. And then it was me and a few accountants because we were a tax and accounting firm. And, uh, and I look back on that time and just like, man, you were, th- you, I don't know if I made their lives miserable, right? But I certainly didn't add to fulfillment. I wasn't creating a place. I was creating a place where they would come uh, to earn a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a right to expect anything more than that because I really wasn't doing anything to invest in them as people. I really wasn't doing anything to uh, to provide opportunity for them other than you know put my head down to try to try to grow the business as much as possible and on the assumption that good things will happen. And in hindsight, you know that is I think that is the perspective of a lot of business owners. Like we just got to grow. If we grow, better things will happen. And the lack of intentionality around providing opportunities for people, not just for like career development opportunities, but personal fulfillment opportunities. Or is there a part of this, is there a part of this person's day or week that allows them to enjoy being the best that they can possibly be at the thing that they're doing? And I don't mean necessarily like filling out spreadsheets or fulfilling orders, uh, 
but you know, there's there are certain traits that you know the conscientiousness that's required of an accountant to do something really, really well when nobody's looking over their shoulder, and to be acknowledged for that, to be called up to that, and then be acknowledged when it happens, and say like, you were born to do this. I don't know if you realize that, but like, there you're you are the top one percent of one percent of people in this world who enjoy doing this work and are really, really good at it, mm-hmm. and that just totally escaped my radar. It wasn't even on my landscape. And, um, you know, what the fun thing, um, you know, I like learning is one of our core values. Mm-hmm. So, you know, constantly learning and trying to, to strive to be that lifelong learner. And a big part of that is looking back at your regrets. Um, if you run into somebody who says, I wouldn't do anything different, you know, if I had the chance, like not only is that, um, stupid. <laughs> like, you know, so you did everything perfect, right? Um, you could, you could save yourself or those around you a lot of heartache and you wouldn't take the opportunity to do that. Okay. That's just not smart. But I think it also, uh, shows an incredible lack of humility. Mm-hmm. So when I look back, uh, one of the things that I am I'm most proud of in myself prefer- personally and professionally in terms of being a better learner is recognizing that for a long time that wasn't on my radar. And now it's one of the top things on my radar. Like I really want people, one of the things that we try to do here, um, and you went through this process uh, not too long ago, of identifying people who feel called to do this work. Mm -hmm. And why is that so important? Well, it's hard for me to compete with your calling. But if your calling and mine are similar, if we are doing work that we both feel called to do, then I run across innumerable opportunities, not just to help you do that, but to acknowledge like when you're like getting it like 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain itch that I think God has designed us to want scratched, which is what was I put here for? You know, ultimately my belief is we're put here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right. That's, that's the first question of the catechism. What's the chief end of man? But what does that mean in work? Well, what has God created you to do? He's given you uniquely a certain set of skill sets, um, preferences, experiences that have all brought you to this point. And every business owner that's listening to this has a group of people who are in that spot. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think you will find immensely enjoyable if you embrace it is your role trying to discover exactly what that is. Notice when people are doing it and acknowledge them for doing it because sometimes they're uncertain. Am I doing it? Am I doing it? Well, I don't know. I've never seen anybody else do it. I can't really observe myself doing it because I'm actually in it. What does it look like to the outside world? There's a perspective that you have that they don't, and they need your perspective. They need your, your feedback, your input on how they're doing. And if you run into somebody or you have somebody in your organization who, who isn't in what we would call their highest and best use, there's nothing more life-changing than you, that you can do than to notice that, recognize it, and you're the business owner. You've got the power to make that change. And in a very small business, you may not have enough seats on the bus to, to you know, oh, that person's highest and best use is over here. Like, we don't, we're not that big. We don't have that. We don't, you know, I'm struggling to think of an example, but some businesses are just... They don't have endless opportunities for people who have a specific skill set. Mm-hmm. Well, you're a business owner for crying out loud. You, if, you know, if you've lived in this community for any amount of time and you've got other friends who are business owners or other people who, of influence, pick up the phone, call and say, I've got this person. They're phenomenal. 
but we don't have the right seat for them on the bus. And it's not fair to them to make them wait until our bus gets big enough that we can add that seat. Can you help them achieve what God has put them here to do? Um, And if that's your, like, it's, it's astonishing that business owners don't have a, um, a better understanding of the power for good that they have when it comes to helping people achieve that highest and best use. Yeah. And I would just like to say that I think Joey is Devin and Cameron and I say it all the time that he's one of the best bosses we've ever had. Oh, stop. <laughs> We're just going to make your ego big a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but he does really um, model this well for us and is also humble when there's moments that he doesn't. And during my interview process, there were a lot of things that made me say yes. But one of the biggest things that made me say yes was when he, when Joey said, I know you're called to this work, but are you called to Axiom? Are you called here? And I think that takes a really humble person to say that because if you're building a business, of course you want somebody who's can do the work really well. You just want to put them on the team. Um, But to sit back and say, but is it the best place for them and make them ask that question for themselves? I think that takes, that takes somebody special. So you're doing something right. Well, thanks. I I think that uh, on that topic, we really need to be realistic and I, and have what I call a loose grip, you know, on our, our team members. Um, It's, It's highly unlikely. Like, let's say that you're a business owner out there and you have a smaller, smallish business. So I'll use Axiom as an example. We've got six, five, six team members right now, right? So um, luckily, like our plans to grow are pretty wild, Mm -hmm. right? Like pretty ambitious. Um, So we're in a good spot because we've got some really, really talented people on the team. And if we didn't have a really ambitious vision, it's most likely the case that we would not grow at the rate necessary to continue to provide opportunities for those AAA players. Mm -hmm. And the bigger a business gets, the harder that becomes. Like one of the advantages of owning a small, fast-growing business is the pace of opportunities has a better chance of matching the potential for growth of the individuals, the individual team members. But if you, once you get into, you know, 100, 150, 200-person teams, that, you know, you've got somebody who comes in at the, not the ground level, but let's say they come in and there's plenty of senior people over them well, for the business to grow, like if the sales manager is great, what are the chances that we're going to need two sales managers, right? So that person's going to rise up through the ranks. And in order for them to take the next step, maybe they feel called to be a sales manager. Maybe they're like, my job, it's not about being the highest producing, oftentimes highest paid person in the company. I really want to pay it forward. I want to be able to bring up a young crop of new salespeople and mentor them and build a department that contributes to the success of a business. And a business owner who, who doesn't see that 
is just going to try to find ways to keep that person there. And it's a losing battle. You're going to lose the battle. How much better for you to take the attitude of, okay, we have, we're building something special. We have built something special and we're going to continue to hone and refine that. We've got core values that create this incredibly distinctive culture. We have a purpose that a lot of our folks are aligned with. We all roll out of bed for the same reason every morning. And we come here and we do fantastic work together. And we have this incredible leadership team that really pours into their team members that report to them. And we've got great systems and processes, and we know exactly who our customers are. And we've built this incredible discipline around building the business, and we're incredibly financially prosperous. And you have this young team member as a salesperson who's kind of coming up through the ranks. And you go, you know what? Uh, We're out of opportunity for you. But there's a company over here. There's a guy that I know. And his wife is just killing it in her business, but she is the salesperson and she's got to get out of that role. Why don't we try to get you over there? She's going to need a sales manager. You're already a great salesperson. You can help her get out of the sales role by becoming the chief salesperson and you can graduate and start to hire people under you to be a sales manager. Mm -hmm. And that business owner goes, "I'm, I'm sending somebody out into the world who knows what business is supposed to look like, who knows what culture really is about, who knows what leadership needs to be, who understands that business plays a part in the world that's far greater than any church or social organization or government program and has an ability to create lasting, impactful change. And I'm sending my disciples, if you will, out into the world to take this message into other businesses and help them do the same. That is, that's the definition of success. It's not keeping your people to yourself and limiting their opportunity because it's feeding dollars into your pocket and you can't afford to lose them. You're going to lose them. And in the meantime, you know, you're you're damaging not just them, but I think you're damaging yourself too, because you're missing out on what it, on the experience of paying it forward, if you will. Yeah. And having a good team doesn't mean just keeping everybody in one place. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Um, So another thing that we can talk about on this topic of creating the good team, where where does the good team come from, is what people struggle with. So when you're thinking about um, the different players on your team, what are those individuals struggling with and how can you help them overcome? Some of them, uh, some of them are struggling with just their seat at the table. So uh, if we, if we look at, start from the top down, we talked about the, the, the CEO, right? Let's talk about the, those other people in the boat, right? And you and I would call those, that's the leadership team. Those are usually the people that we work with most often. Yeah. And so some of those people are struggling um, just with the fact that like, am I supposed to be on this team? Mm -hmm. And that's a very substantive question. And we found, you know, through a lot of error, (laughs) I would say trial, but it's mostly been error. We found that, um, you know, it's much, much easier to invite people onto the leadership team than it is to invite people off the leadership team. And so when we're inviting people onto the leadership team, especially with like a brand new client that's never had a leadership team per se, maybe they've had, you know, some meetings and, you know, certain people are usually in those meetings, but we say, no, we're going to, we're going to formally establish a leadership team who's going to be charged with building and executing a strategic plan and leading everybody else in the company. There's a few things that we, we want 
them to affirm, if you will, we call these our leadership affirmations. And this is just so that they can be comfortable knowing I'm at this table for a reason. This is what's expected of me in this seat at the table. And if we don't get this right, you're going to have people at the table who, who may not deserve to be there or need to be there or even want to be there. And we've had that issue too. So let me run through these real quick. So the uh, first affirmation is they understand that this is, they have a willingness to invest time in others. They understand that leadership takes time. It takes time in this meeting. It takes time meeting with them. I'm going to have to uh, create some space in my calendar. If I'm just too busy, then it's not going to work. And we've been in situations in leadership teams where somebody is always taking calls from customers, right? Or where somebody is most often absent from the meeting because something else came up, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, maybe you don't belong at the table because you don't have a willingness to invest the time for the benefit of others. And that's, that's number one. Number two, uh, they strive to exhort, encourage, and empower based on performance. So encourage those who are doing well, exhort those who need to be called up to do better, and empower those who are doing who are doing well, but are also ready for more responsibility. So encouragement, exhortation, and empowerment are, if you don't believe in that, right? If you're a hard, if you have a hard time acknowledging other people, or you have a hard time having difficult conversations to exhort somebody to better performance, or if you're a control freak and you want to control it all, and you don't want to empower other people and delegate not just tasks, but entire responsibilities for people already, then maybe you should, maybe you should not be on the leadership team. Mm-hmm. The third one is that they have a calling that's consistent across their life. There are no days off for leaders, right? You are, you're a leader at work and you're a jackass at home, right? That is not good, right? You're a leader at work, but you go to your kid's soccer game on Saturday morning and you're cursing out the referee. And maybe there are some of your employees who are sitting, you know, the next field over and they see this, or maybe there's a customer or maybe there's a vendor or maybe your boss, for instance, there are no days off from leadership. And one of the best litmus tests that, that, that I know of uh, when kind of evaluating leaders is go out to lunch with them mm-hmm. and watch how they treat the servers versus how they treat the manager of the restaurant when the manager comes over to, to check on how was your lunch today. Mm-hmm. Somebody who doesn't treat the servers well, I don't think is going to be a great leader. It's, you have to be consistent. Uh, number four, you have to agree that your success is based on your team member's success. It's not enough for you to put up great numbers while they're struggling. If they're struggling, you should be struggling because you're not doing your job as a leader. Number five, there's no status quo. You got to challenge your comfort zone. If you find yourself defending positions like arguments for change or new ideas or your kind of constant refrain is why that won't work, maybe you should question whether you should be at the leadership team table. And finally, you have to be a champion of the company's values in deed and word. Mm -hmm. So- we, uh, we're not going to get into this today, but every client of Axioms, like the foundation before we even get involved in strategic planning is to establish the basis of the culture on values and vision. So values are the three or four words that define the culture with definitions specific to that organization. And if you have people in your leadership team, those people have to be all in on the values. In word, they got to talk about them. They got to know them. They got to know their definitions. They need to be able to acknowledge people for living them out. They need to be able to have hard conversations with people who aren't living them out. And they themselves have to be willing to live them out. 
That doesn't mean that they're not going to have lapses. You know, you guys, you've seen me already be called out for not living axioms values. Sometimes I call myself out. Usually I do that because I, I know it's easier to take the medicine when I give it to myself than to <laughs> take it from somebody else. But every leader has to be willing to be held accountable to those values. Yeah. And, if, and that, I would say that last one is probably the most important. Some of these others can be just blind spots. It does take time. I didn't realize how much the time it was going to take. I don't know how many of, of these responsibilities I can offload to create time. Can you help me with that? Yeah, we can help you with that. My success is based on theirs. I've never heard that before. I, if I'm not selling the most, I feel like I'm a failure. And you're telling me that it would be better if my people were selling more than me? Yeah, because your success is based on their success. We can free you up from that. But somebody who doesn't believe the values apply to them, that's a really hard one to cure. And that can be super toxic to the leadership team. And, you know, what's interesting, you go back to that analogy of the boat. Like if you've got one person in that boat who's toxic, who's constantly bitching and complaining, and, and maybe it looks like they're pulling their weight, but there's a question about whether they really are because of what they're saying or how they're acting, mm -hmm. the entire performance of the team drops significantly. You know, it makes a big difference who's in the back of the boat, but it absolutely makes a difference who else is in the boat. So if you are the person in the back of the boat and you've got people on your team who are falling short of those affirmations and you don't believe you can get them over the hump, it's your responsibility to invite them out of the boat to protect the people who want to be in the boat. Yeah. And that's a responsibility that I wish more business owners would take more seriously. Uh, they have people who are, are capable of incredible things every single day and they're being held back by a lack of buy-in or lack of commitment to the culture by one of their fellow leaders. Yeah. And you as the business owner are the only person that has the capacity to make that change. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important to remember. Well, thanks so much, Joey, for chatting with me today about this. I'm really excited for um, the next um, episode. Next week, we're going to be talking with Cameron. We're going to be talking more about those values that Joey talked about um, a little bit and how we can build those values with your team, how you can build them as the leader um, and what that actually means to have values, to have vision and to have a mission um, to keep your business going forward. Until next time, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.